Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hello, CBS Evening News podcast listeners. This is Robert Costa. Just over an hour before the House of Representatives is set to vote on its new speaker, I went live on Twitter spaces here at the Capitol with my colleague, CBS News congressional correspondent Nicole Killian and Scott McFarland to discuss whether Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy has enough support to become Speaker of the House today, and what might happen if he doesn't? Take a listen. Hey, this is uh, Robert Costa with CBS News. Thanks for joining us here on this Twitter Spaces. If you can hear, is Scott there? You better believe it. Thanks for listening. Scott, uh, we're, I'm, I'm uh, in the Capitol basement, HC5, the majority's meeting room in the House. It's windowless, some would say soulless, and uh, in terms of just the air being pretty, pretty, pretty tough down here. Uh, and they're all gathering. This meeting's still going on for the House Speaker, ahead of the House Speaker vote. In short, the House Republicans are meeting privately in this room, HC5, in the Capitol basement. It's, it's a room with a lot of history. Uh, this is where John Boehner's speakership 10 years ago suffered a lot of defeats. It has a history of being a place where they, they have confrontations. And what we're watching right now from outside the door are members coming in and out, and they're still speaking in there about whether Kevin McCarthy should be the Speaker of the House. This is a private Republican meeting in the basement of the Capitol. Scott, what are you hearing? I caught Kevin McCarthy on the way in and asked him if he had the votes yet. And he told me, we're going to have a good day today, which is just the kind of non-answer he's been giving over the past 24 hours, perhaps because there's no better answer to give. Um, it's fluid. It's um, it just it has a different vibe to it than previous palace coup attempts we've seen. There was one you and I covered 10 years ago that fell flat in the 11th hour. This one doesn't seem to be falling flat in the 11th hour. So if McCarthy doesn't have the votes, who emerges as the speaker here? I keep hearing there could be a consensus in the sense of a, an outgoing member like Fred Upton of Michigan 
or Patrick McHenry, who's a longtime House Republican from North Carolina. As they leave the meeting right here in the Capitol basement, a lot of McCarthy's allies, though, tell me they're still confident they're going to break these House Freedom Caucus members down. And it seems like that's the tone of this meeting, Scott, is they're not moving toward a consensus or a Scalise pick or a second choice. What they're doing is trying to think through, can McCarthy just grind down the Freedom Caucus and their opposition? Because it seems like such a binary thing. You, you can have a consensus in the House Republican conference, but if only five defections kills the deal, uh, you know, what would normally be characterized as a consensus isn't enough. And you know, a compromise candidate doesn't seem like something that would satisfy a breakaway um, faction that doesn't believe well, McCarthy's conservative enough. All I can use is that historical record we have from 10 years ago when there was an attempted palace coup on John Boehner and it was the number two Republican at the time, Eric Cantor, who received the most other votes on the floor. Presumably that would line up for Scalise to get the breakaway votes, at least on the first ballot. It's, it's an interesting scene here, Scott. Um, new, They don't know this room HC5. This has only been used by the majority in the last decade. Your speaker's office upstairs on the second floor, they're having a tough time finding this HC5 room. One thing that struck me just is, gave me a laugh is when I was waiting outside HC5 as they're having this private GOP conference meeting, this massive portrait oil painting of George Washington was wheeled sideways past the room, almost like he was looking askew at what was happening in the U.S. Congress. And this is a strange day. I mean, what, what are you hearing, Scott, this morning? Yes, McCarthy's confident. But if this goes to the floor and four or five members still say no, it, it has to go to a second ballot constitutionally, correct? Yeah, and I'm going to defer to Nicole Killian in a moment, but I want to just say that this is not only the first order of business, this has to be the first order of business. These 434 members of the House to be sworn in today need to have a speaker first before they're actually congresswomen and congressmen. So they've got to get this done. And if it takes a prolonged period of time, Everything else is on hold. And I think Nicole is near the same room is we're ne- near as well. Here on the, is Nicole on the Twitter spaces? Yes, I'm here. Nicole, unlo- unload um, your notebook. Welcome to the Twitter space. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I stepped away from the basement <laughs> for a minute. But, um, you know, look, I, I think no one really knows how this day is going to unfold. Um, and I think it's become pretty clear unless there's some big revelation that comes out of this meeting that's happening right now among House Republicans that Kevin McCarthy is unlikely to win the speakership on this first ballot. I spoke this morning with Congressman Ralph Norman, who is one of those hardliners who plans to vote against a leader, McCarthy. He said that he intends to support Congressman Andy Biggs, who is challenging McCarthy on this first ballot. And he told me he thinks that there are as many as 16 Republicans who will oppose this speaker. Uh, who will oppose McCarthy uh, on this first ballot. Nicole, take us into why, though. I'm so curious why they are doing this. What, what are you learning on that? Well, in his view, and kind of the line that we have heard from a lot of these uh, more conservative members is that they feel that... Uh, 
you know, Kevin McCarthy ran out the clock that, you know, for instance, in terms of this rules package that was proposed and, you know, we saw the leader uh, unveil that just a day or so ago, but they say, you know, their uh, demands in terms of proposed changes to this rules package has been on the table for months now and that Kevin McCarthy pretty much did nothing with it until the 11th hour. And they would like to see even more uh, reforms, uh, specifically in terms of Congressman Norman. Uh, you know, he said that he is very concerned uh, about fiscal matters and thinks more can be done in that space and that area. But each member, you know, has their reasons. I know you were speaking a lot with Congressman Matt Gates. Uh, we know that he has been among those who believes that this motion to vacate, uh, which would force a no confidence vote against uh, a speaker, uh, that he wants that threshold lower to just one member. We know Kevin McCarthy has lowered that threshold to five members that would be required for uh, this motion to vacate. So all of these members have different reasons for challenging McCarthy. What I'm hearing mostly from uh, McCarthy's allies and those who intend to support him is that they feel that, look, 90 plus percent of our conference backs Kevin we just need to go with the guy and, you know, these folks should just take their wins. In fact, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is quite conservative um, and, and really on uh, the, the far right uh, end of the conference, even she told me yesterday that she feels that, you know, while many of these uh, colleagues of hers are, are friends of hers, these folks in the Freedom Caucus who are kind of insisting on some of these um, changes that... In essence, they just need to take what they can get at this point. And she feels that some people are in this for themselves and that that is kind of what is complicating some of these efforts. So uh, for someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene to sound more moderate in this sense, I think, you know, speaks to uh, the challenges of what a difficult thread that uh, Leader McCarthy has to uh, weave uh, among his members because at the end of the day, uh, you know, he may never be able to get everyone on the same page, but to the extent that he can get enough members today to support his bid, whether that's 218 or less than 218, if this goes to, uh, you know, multiple ballots, is, is really the, the key challenge that he faces today. I keep uh, hearing that Lauren Boebert, the congresswoman from California, excuse me, the congresswoman from Colorado, she used an expletive when Mac after McCarthy spoke in this HC5 meeting this morning. Congresswoman Boebert said this is BS, supposedly muttered the real word uh, when she was in there. That reflects there's, a real, there's real tension right now inside the House GOP. Nicole or Scott, if you're still on. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I don't understand if there's not a unified purpose from the faction that won't support McCarthy. If there's not a policy aim or a policy goal, what's the concession he gives for the second ballot? What's the silver bullet thing he can offer as a fig leaf to let these members change their vote and have to answer for their changed vote on the second ballot? If there's no unified purpose among the dissenters, this gets complicated. You have to piecemeal win people back. And that means a series of concessions, which is tricky and really, really could defang his speakership. Or this goes three, four, five ballots and becomes itself a self-sustaining problem. You know, I think that is the challenge that McCarthy faces is in that he has uh, put a lot of cards on the table already. And so 
what else does he have left in his toolbox? And, you know, quite frankly, I think to your point about, um, a, you know, some of the frustration that appears to be emerging from this meeting, you know, that was something that was quite palpable as many of these members even headed in to the meeting this morning. I think, again, especially among those members who back Leader McCarthy because they feel that the party is being held hostage. And again, they feel if the majority of their members can get behind Kevin McCarthy, then, you know, what's the issue? What's the problem here? And as long as they remain at that impasse, I think things will continue to be very dense today. Let me paint a picture of where everybody is. It can explain some of the ambient noise and the interruptions. There's a press corps of hundreds packed into this basement hallway of the U.S. Capitol, windowless, dungeon-like, and sardine can-like. And we're trying to navigate that because that's where the members of the House Republican Conference are meeting right now to decide for whom they're going to place their votes for speaker. This has to start at 12 p.m. It has to start with a vote for speaker of the House. They really can't do anything else until they say their opening prayer, have an attendance quorum call, and then begin this speaker vote. There really is no sworn member of Congress until the speaker votes completed, which means there's a clerk, Cheryl Johnson, the clerk of the House, who is in charge today. She's the only person with an official role until the speaker vote. That's why we're so fixated on this, not just because it's dramatic and there's seemingly some 11th hour intrigue, but nothing else can get done until the speaker vote. Um, the one thing we do know for sure is Nancy Pelosi's final day as speaker is today. It ends in an hour and 15 minutes, the first and only female speaker in U.S. history, and she's going to be sworn in by the new House Speaker, whoever that is, to be a rank-and-file member representing San Francisco. And I think the other remarkable thing is just the historic nature of what may transpire today, because if Kevin McCarthy does not win enough votes on that first ballot and it goes to a second ballot or a third ballot or more, you know, this is something that we have not seen in more than a century. I think the last time something like this occurred where the vote for speaker went past one ballot was back in 1913. And even prior to that, there have only been just over a dozen instances uh, where these elections have required multiple ballots, most of them taking place before the Civil War. So, <laughs> you know, that just speaks to uh, what a remarkable moment in history this is. And even it's confounding some members, you know, many of them were kind of telling me, you know, they don't know how this is going to play out. They don't have a sense of how long this could take because they too have not been in this space before. So I think that's just another uh, remarkable moment about uh, the day. And and Nicole, to build on your point, it's a remarkable moment for Kevin McCarthy. I've covered him for over 10 years. This is someone who recruited a lot of the Tea Party in 2010. He's been up and down, almost became speaker in 2015 after John Boehner left, but that fell apart. Uh, now he's just been a survivor politically, but he's seen Ryan, Boehner, so many others go through these ups and downs. This is the reckoning for him. I, I, his whole career in Congress comes down to this. 16 years in the House, he was one of the first people elected, one of the only Republicans elected in that Democratic wave year of 2006. And, and this is it for Kevin McCarthy. I mean, he's always been the guy who has been able to build a base of support inside the party. Remember, they used to call themselves the Young Guns, Eric Cantor. Paul Ryan was the ideologue, the policy person in the in the kind of the casting of the House GOP a decade ago. Eric Cantor 
was the leader, the majority leader. Um, and then you had in McCarthy, the recruiter, the guy who had a camaraderie and a rapport with the base. And so much of this, is, it's, it's strange in a way for McCarthy to have so much of the opposition now be personal. It's not an ideological fight. I think that's such an important thing I try to remember. This really isn't about McCarthy being liberal or moderate. It's not like he's a problem solver caucus member running for speaker. And the majority makers have his back. Those who won those purple districts in suburban New York City, um, those who won the competitive districts near Detroit, um, they're the ones who you know, have penned letters and vocally said, it's Kevin McCarthy. That's our person. We're not looking for an alternative. The majority makers have his back. In previous elections, the Freedom Caucus may have had you know, more outsized sway than it has at this particular Congress. But in this context, all they need is five to disrupt the speaker vote. I also think there's other pieces of history here that need to be noted. You know, today at noon, Hakeem Jeffries becomes Democratic leader, first African-American to lead a congressional party. In, and, and also Catherine Clark will become the highest ranking woman in Congress effective at noon. There's other pieces of history to note. Today. Any chance, Scott or Nicole, that the Democrats throw some votes to McCarthy to keep give him the job versus a, uh, a more conservative member? You know, at this point, it seems unlikely. That's something I actually asked um, the incoming Democratic leader about last night. Um, and he kind of deflected and said that he expects his Democratic members to be oh, present hey, quick, and yeah, voting. Hey, 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 Nicole, real quick. I'm here with Congressman Swalwell of California. Congressman, we're here on CBS News Twitter spaces. Any chance Democrats throw support to McCarthy on the floor today? That is 100% not happening. Why not? Not happening. I mean, the guy stood with Donald Trump after January 6th when he said he wasn't, went down to Mar-a-Lago. I think he's an election denier, and we're not going to give votes to that guy. So no shot? No shot. All Zero. Right. Thank you, Congressman. Nicole, back to you. That was Congressman Eric Swalwell of California. Uh, yeah, well, that was pretty much the sentiment uh, or vibe, I guess, that I got from the incoming Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, last night, because I asked him point blank if there was any scenario where Democrats would help a leader McCarthy with the votes. And his response to me is that we are focused right now on making sure that every single Democrat is present and voting. And I hope, speaking of him, <laughs> to earn everyone's vote. So he's more focused, as he should be, uh, obviously, on getting enough votes to become minority leader. But on the same token, he didn't seem to suggest any willingness to uh, assist the uh, minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, with with getting votes to become speaker. And I would also note, uh, you know, it was just only a couple of months ago that uh, we spoke with uh, another Democratic lawmaker who uh, had been reached out to, had gotten uh you know, been contacted uh, uh, to potentially support uh, Leader McCarthy. That was Congressman Henry Cuellar, who, as we know, is a moderate Democrat uh, in a very um, split district and, and you know, who has aligned himself at times with Republicans and, and at times, uh, you know, with his own party with Democrats. But he swore up and down to me that he is a lifelong Democrat and there was just no chance that he would help a Leader McCarthy with the votes. And while he told me that he was never contacted directly by McCarthy. Uh, he was contacted by some folks around him, some folks he told me on K Street and, you know, some former members. So uh, as much as Democrats say that they don't intend to help a leader McCarthy, uh, you best believe that there was some outreach to try to woo uh, some Democrats over to his side. But again, as of now, it seems they aren't biting. 
and I'm told, Scott and Nicole, that um, just now from a couple sources inside the room, that the House Freedom Caucus essentially wanted to control the Rules Committee, and that was the breaking point. That's a pretty big ask and a pretty heavy lift to control the powerful Rules Committee. Um, and I think the rest of the conference might laugh that suggestion out of the room. But I, I think this is just a, a, a foreshadowing of problems to come. If they're having difficulty navigating the blocking and tackling of naming a speaker, what happens when the time comes for Republicans to cut a deal with the Democratic Senate or the White House to raise the debt ceiling or to keep the lights on at the federal government for the next spending bill? Are they going to make a move on McCarthy to try to vacate the chair to lose his speakership if he does something like ensure the debt ceiling is raised and financial catastrophe doesn't ensue? This is a harbinger of things to come. But that being said, you know, I would note that there are a number of members that I did ask pretty bluntly if they are concerned about all of the optics of this. And, you know, many of them told me that they're not. I mean, this is just about process. This is how it works. And at the end of the day, and again, these were more people who were in uh, McCarthy's uh, circle, you know, they just feel that ultimately he will get there. They don't know how, but he will get there. That well, I think the how is good. kind of, uh, the, they want to embarrass the, the, the Freedom Caucus. That seems to be the tone I keep hearing. I sat at HC5. They want to embarrass their colleagues and say to themselves, do you really want to go in front of the world today at noon and show the House Republicans in disarray? It's, it's an embarrassment warning. That seems to be the big takeaway I have in my notebook here. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I would note, too, is, you know, right before this transition, of course, uh, Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi held her last press conference of the year in late December. And I asked her then, uh, you know, I wanted to get her thoughts in terms of whether she had had any discussions with Leader McCarthy as they prepare for this transition. And at the time, she said they had not had anything formal. She just kind of has been dealing with him informally. But I also asked her if she had any advice for Leader McCarthy if he were to prevail. And, uh, you know, what was notable to me is that while she said, you know, I don't give advice to people and I'm not going to be the mother-in-law here, she did make very clear that she hopes that Republicans can expeditiously elect a speaker because, in her words, the work of the Congress needs to get done. And so at the end of the day, I think that that is uh, something that not only someone like Nancy Pelosi feels strongly about, but a lot of these Republican members as well. And I think that is why there is this strategy of if we can wear down these no votes since they are in the minority, then ultimately McCarthy can prevail. And as of now, to me, that seems to be the working strategy. But again, it just will depend on how much patience there is and how much tolerance there is for how protracted a process this could be. And there seems to be nothing left on the shelf for McCarthy to give. He's offered significant seats on the Rules Committee, but not total control. He's offered to move the motion to vacate. That means that someone you can start the process to remove a speaker, bringing it down to one person. So he's done a lot, but I, and there seems to be the very little else on the table, except they don't want to have retribution, I'm told, the Freedom Caucus members if they cut a deal. And uh, it's just a stalemate. It, it, it's going to go to the floor. And uh, who's, who's going to blink first? That's really where we are in American democracy at 10.50 a.m. Eastern. I really feel like this outside candidate, consensus candidate, is fan fiction. I think the three of us all have better odds of being NBA MVP than that happening. But it's interesting that so many things are on the table an hour and 10 minutes before this starts. 
Well, you know, there had also been talk about hey, Nicole, whether or not. Nicole, I don't want to interrupt, but uh, I'm here with Congressman Jim Costa of California. No relation. I'm running into all these Californians. He's a blue dog, a moderate Democrat, I think it's fair to say. Yes. We're just talking about the consensus. Is there any chance Democrats could be on a consensus pick here, Congressman Costa? Well, I think it's a bit premature. But you don't really given have. the dynamics that are taking place today, uh, this is historic. And if they can uh, choose a speaker here today. Who, knows what who would happen. it be if there's a consensus speaker? Who could get the votes from well, some Democrat? I mean, Come on. We, 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 there are a number of people that could fit that bill. What about Fred Upton in Michigan? Uh, Fred said, I talked to him last week. He's, he's not interested. <laughs> I don't think many people are that interested in this job at this point. No, no. And, and, Tough job. And, and the way uh, Kevin's lowered the bar, who would want to have it? If one person well, you, could you say. know, any reflection on McCarthy? You, he's his district, Bakersfield, is near yours in Fresno, California. What is this moment like for him to be in such a tense political struggle? I've known Kevin for thirty years. Uh, he has wanted this more than anything in the world in the last since he's come to Congress. I fear for him that uh, it's like the dog who chases the car and finally caught it, and now now what? Because he's in, he's got himself in a place that I don't think can ever successfully govern with, with this group of folks. Congressman Costa, thank you very much. Okay, thank Appreciate you. It. See you around the floor. Yeah. Yeah, the only other thing I was just going to chime in with, you know, when we talk about a consensus candidate here, you know, one name that has come up often but has not necessarily been embraced among a lot of members is the incoming majority leader, Steve Scalise, who was also the GOP whip, obviously the number two to Kevin McCarthy. And, you know, while one he has not actively campaigned for uh, this job, you know, that is another potential option option. But in terms of many of the members that I have spoken to, you know, they tend to say, well, you know, I like Steve, but um, so even he doesn't seem to be, while well, he could be that, that obvious choice, right, being uh, McCarthy's deputy, there still isn't even, uh, you know, a, a consensus among him uh, as a, a strong possibility. So uh, to your point, it does seem that uh, many Republicans are kind of all over the map in terms of who they think might be best suited. You know, you have somebody like uh, Congressman Don Bacon, who even wrote this op-ed proposing an agreeable Republican that could emerge as a consensus candidate and that he might even be willing to work with Democrats to try to find that consensus candidate. So, uh, and in talking to him earlier today, he still wouldn't tip his hat to uh, a potential name, but suggested, uh, you know, it could be a member of Congress who might be leaving. But, but, but that being said, I, I mean, it's, if they can't settle on Kevin McCarthy, then who? And if they can't settle on that alternative, then who? And so that is why this is just still continues to be a, a very complex and, and confounding moment uh, for House Republicans, but one that they are going to have to resolve and tackle in soon. So we're an hour and seven minutes away from this, and the list of no votes for McCarthy seems to be growing. You've got Scott Perry and Lauren Boebert holding court outside this meeting room, expressing their and displeasure. Then, uh, it's a very public way of saying, well, I'm not voting for Kevin if they're going to change their mind in an one hour. Thing I, I, I'm seeing uh, right now Mick Mulvaney, the former White House chief of staff, CBS contributor from time to time, with Frank Luntz, the longtime friend of McCarthy. Uh, just really quick looking at the questions here. Who's a secret alternative from one of them? Robert Waldeck, Upton. We just talked to uh, Jim Costa, California, about that. No relation. He doesn't think Upton wants the job. Why is this a closed-door meeting only? Because it's a private political meeting inside the House GOP. 
uh, who's leaking out the details? Well, members are coming out and pretty much leaking it in the sense of just sharing information. It's not really all leaks. Uh, some people text from time to time. Will McCarthy ask Dem leadership to vote to present like Boehner did? Would they be open to helping him? We've gotten some answers on that. Does the GOP leadership have a plan B? I think that they can't have a plan B if you're a McCarthy ally because you want to stay on the floor. The minute this thing comes off the floor, if, if there's a, then there's a, a chance that it becomes political theater in a private room or there's a lot of political bloodletting. So in the shorthand of all this, there's no appetite for McCarthy to leave the floor today uh, and have a private huddle because then that's the kind of scenario McCarthy allies fear where an alternative could emerge. Any final thoughts, uh, Scott, Nicole? I know we have to wrap up and get back to work here. This was not a good hour for Kevin McCarthy's at prospects on the first ballot. Feels like it's going to be a long afternoon. Well, my first lesson in politics is to never predict anything. Politics is always a surprise. And so <laughs> I am just waiting with bated breath to see how things play out today. Indeed. And uh, this is going to be quite a day. Could be history, could just be dramatic. We shall see. But it's going to be one or the other. That's for sure. So uh, thanks very much for joining us here on this Twitter Spaces. We're going to get back to work here at the House. Busy day. A lot of fun. Uh, if you love politics, probably not fun if you're a House Republican today, but uh, fun if you're covering it and interested in American democracy and the system of government in Congress. So thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, back to work. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.